Well, good afternoon. It's great, great to be with you today. I, I enjoyed talking to uh, Pastor James yesterday and hearing a bit about the history of your church, a brief synopsis and how the Lord has worked uh, here. So that is, that is thrilling to me. Uh, our passage today is Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That's on page 1008 in the Pew Bibles, page 1008, Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 1 through 3. Let's pray again as we start. Our Father, we ask now that you would come by your Holy Spirit and you would direct our minds to Christ and that by your Spirit you would speak to our minds and our hearts and that we would be changed and that we would be motivated to continue to follow you no matter what the cost. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll, we'll read that passage in a minute, but this passage is about running the race, and when I think of racing, I think of the 1984 Olympics. I know many of you probably weren't even alive when those happened, so that dates me. But the Olympics in that year were in Los Angeles. Diane and I were living in Los Angeles in those days. And Mary Decker was a famous 26-year-old American runner. And she was expected to win the 3,000 meters that year. In 1983, she had won the gold medal in both the 1,500 and 3,000 meters in the World Cup championships. She also in her career held the world record for women in the 5,000 meters and the 10,000 meters and the mile. So she, she was just an incredible runner. Anyway, Americans were excited to celebrate her expected victory in this Olympic race. In the race, a barefoot runner from Great Britain named Zola Budd. So she was running, <clears throat> some of you may remember this, she was running neck and neck with Mary, Mary Decker. They were, they were just running pretty much stride for stride. Zola Budd pulled out a little bit in front of Mary, and all of a sudden their, their, their feet got tangled up. Zola kept running, but, but Mary, Mary fell, fell to the ground. You, you know, after, after all that training, right, all, all, that, all that effort, all that time, all, all those dreams, they, they literally came crashing to the ground in, in an instant, in, in, a, in a moment. I, I still can picture in my mind, I think it was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, but I can still picture on my mind Mary Decker looking up from the track with a look of, of intense anguish on her face, and her future husband, he wasn't her husband yet, but her future husband came and he carried her off the track. That, that, that was a poignant and, and moment. It still strikes me today when I, when I think of that. Well, but, but that's just an ordinary race in human life. But God tells us, his word tells us, we're in a much more important race. And fortunately... There isn't only one winner. Every one of us in here, we can run that race and, and, we, can, and we can win it. So that's, that's the main point of my, my text today. It's, it's this, keep, keep following Jesus. Keep, keep running that race. Don't, don't cease running that race. Don't, don't quit on Jesus. No matter what the obstacles are, keep moving. Well, let's, let's, read, let's read the text, Hebrews chapter 12. From, this is from the English Standard Version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Well, there, there's the main point in this text is run that race to the end. Run with endurance, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Yeah, and another way of saying the same thing is at the end of, of, of verse 3, right? Where, where, where he says um, that, we're, that we're not to grow weary. Actually, I didn't read verse 3, did I? I skipped it. Let me read it. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So that's, the, the, the point is don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted. And, and we're told three things in these verses about uh, running the race. And here's my three sub-points. Run the race to the end. One, because others have run it before you. So run that race to the end because others have preceded you. Second, run that race by putting aside every weight or impediment or every hindrance and by putting aside every sin. So putting aside every weight, every impediment, and every sin. And, and thirdly, run that race by looking to Jesus. So before we look at the subpoints, I want to return to the main point of the text. Run the race to the end. Don't give up. So, so he's telling us that here's the illustration. Of course, they had, they had the Olympic Games in the ancient world, and they had in Corinth, they had the Isthmian Games. They had those games every other year. So they were very familiar with races. And, and actually, the marathon, you probably know this, the marathon itself comes from Greek culture. So the Christian life is a race. And actually, actually, I think it's a nice illustration. The, the Christian life is like a marathon. So we need... We need endurance. I've never run a marathon. I've never wanted to run a marathon. I have no interest in running a marathon. I, I used to run before my knees gave out, but I never, as far as I know, I never in my life ran farther than 3.2 miles. And I'd calculate it and I'd say, that's enough. 3.2 miles, I don't need to go any further than that. That's enough. But, but some of you have run marathons and half marathons, and it, and it takes incredible discipline to do that, doesn't it? I know a friend who, uh, who would run several times a week, five to seven miles, and then he told me, and every Saturday, as he was preparing for marathons, he'd run, he'd run 20 miles. Um, that takes discipline and training and endurance. But I, I, like, I like Sunday strolls with my wife, Diane, on sunny days, but... But the Christian life isn't always like that, is it? It's, it's a race. It's, uh, it takes endurance and grit and power. You know, you know, the Christian life, it isn't even short sprints. Short sprints can be difficult, but there's one nice thing about a short sprint, and it's this, it's soon over because it's short. But the Christian life isn't a short sprint. It's, it's a long it's a long race, and we're commanded to endure to the very end of the race. You know, that race, it's different for each one of us. God is our wise Father. He loves us. He's watching over us. He knows, he knows the race He's called upon you to run. He's called upon you to run a particular race. And, and what has he called upon you to, what race has he called upon you to run? Well, everything in your past, that's part of it, right? And then what's coming forward, we don't know. But he knows what you need. He's planned the race for you. Your race is not my race, and my race is not your race. So we, we, we recognize that God in his wisdom has called us to a different paths. He calls you by his spirit and through his grace to run that race to the end. Since the race is a marathon, it can be exhausting. It can be tiring. It can be dispiriting. There may be times when we're running the race, when we feel like quitting, times when we're 
discouraged, times when we doubt God loves us, so we need, we need motivation to keep running, to keep going. So, you know, this, this is about racing, and our daughter Anna, who I heard might be in this room somewhere, so, in fact, I think she is. I think I see her out there somewhere. Um, but our daughter Anna ran cross-country and track in high school and college. And uh, her, uh, when she ran cross-country races in high school, her coach would meet her at key junctures of the race, and he'd give her instructions. Well, that's what God is doing to us, right? As we run the race, he gives us instructions. And, and when he would meet Anna, he would say things like, keep going, you're almost finished. Or he, or he might say, you went out too fast. You need to slow down a little bit. Or, or perhaps you went out too slow. Speed up. But in any case... What would he encourage her to do? Run that race to the end. You can do it. You can make it. So the, the writer here encourages us to keep running, and he gives three encouragements to help us keep running. And the first is run that race to the end because others have run it before you. So that's verse one, right? We have, we have that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. What are those witnesses? Well, if you know the book of Hebrews, it's all those Old Testament saints mentioned in chapter 11. So those, those people mentioned in chapter 11, they're the witnesses. They're with Jesus now, right? They're the witnesses that surround us as we're running this race. Are they watching us? as we run the race. Is that what he means? Are they witnesses because they're watching us? Yeah, I, I think they probably are watching us, but, but I don't think that's the main point of the text. I, when, when he says they're witnesses, we might think he's just, they're, they're, they're like in a stadium watching us, but, but I think when he says they're witnesses, he has something else primarily in mind. They're witnesses in this sense they are examples for us on how to run the race. So, so, they're, so they're witnesses as, as examples. And, and, and what's the point of that? You're not the first ones to run the race. Other, others have run it, run it before you. In fact, this was written 2,000 years ago. Many others have run that race in the last 2,000 years before us, but, but we have all these Old Testament saints, a few that are mentioned in these verses, and they've run that race. Why does he mention these people? His point is, they made it to the end. They ran the race. They won the race. They made it to the end. And so, you can make it too. If they made it to the end, you can make it. They weren't supermen and superwomen, but they were frail and, and fallible, just like, just like you and, and just like me. So, let, I'm just going to pick out a couple examples. You know, we could spend our whole time in Hebrews 11, but let's pick out a couple. For, uh, verse 31 speaks of Rahab the prostitute. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. So, here's a remarkable person who made it to the end, and we're told what? She was, she was a prostitute. So, so what do we learn from Rahab about running the race? No matter what you did in the past, no matter what sins you committed in your life, you can run that race and win. This race isn't won by perfect people, but by fallible people, by sinful people. Even people who've given themselves to sin in extraordinary ways, which Rahab had done. But, but God turned her around, didn't he? And she was forgiven of all her sins. So, so do you think, I'm too bad. I'm too bad to run this race. I've committed too many sins. 
Only perfect people can run the race and win. You know, if you're a non-Christian here today, non-Christians tend to come into a church and think, well, the people in here are really good. These are really good people in here. And I'm not a good person. At least they tend to think that. Maybe you don't think that. But, but the word of the gospel is, no, the people in here were not really good people. We're all like Rahab. We're just forgiven sinners. And that's what the gospel teaches, right? The gospel teaches that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us, none of us is worthy of eternal life, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, God, because of his great love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came because of his great love for our sake and our salvation, and he died in our place and was raised from the dead so that if we put our faith and trust in him, we're saved from our sin. We're, we're delivered. So, so Rahab trusted in God's promise of forgiveness, and, and she ran that race, and, and she ran it to the end. You know, I thought of something when I read this passage. Rahab, the prostitute, will be in heaven, and many virgins who didn't trust in Jesus will be in hell. Isn't that true? Rahab will be in heaven, but a person may be a virgin, but never have trusted in Jesus, but they're still sinners, right? No one, no one is good enough to enter God's presence. So if they trusted in themselves and in their own goodness, they'll be in hell. And they might think, well, I was good. I didn't ever do anything like Rahab, but they failed to see their own sin. Rahab reached out to God for forgiveness and then she ran that race to the end. Well, we could talk about many other names, but the other one I want to think about is Gideon. Gideon's named in verse 32. We read about Gideon. If you don't know the story, I don't have time to go into it in detail, but we read about Gideon in verse 32. You know, Gideon, I'm assuming you know the story somewhat, I'll say a little bit, but Gideon is a complicated, he's a complex person, and, and that's that's true of all of us. If you read the story, Gideon did some amazing things. He was a man, he was a man of great courage. He, he, he trusted in God in his bravery, and he won a battle with only 300 soldiers. And, 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 and a battle that you could never imagine winning, but he trusted God would give him the strength to win that battle. After that battle, you know what the people said? We want you to be our king. We want you to be king. I mean, that is tempting, right? We want you to be king. Think, think of the power. Think of the prestige. Think of, think, of, uh, think of the riches. Think of the reputation. And what did Gideon say? No. No, no God is your king. Gideon said, I'm not supposed to be your king. God is your king. So, so Gideon in his humility turned it down. Now you might think, wow, I mean, Gideon, Gideon is amazing. I'm not like Gideon, but, but Gideon wasn't, wasn't, like all of us, he was a sinner. All, like all of us, he needed forgiveness of sin. Gideon, after all that, Gideon sinned in a dramatic way. He, after God had led him to these great victories, he made an idol. He made an idol, and, and, and Israel worshipped worshiped that idol. That's why I said he's, he's a complicated person, right? Trusting God in so many amazing ways, and then suddenly he turns away from God. Well, that's not the end of the story, right? He, he did trust God to the end, but but Gideon was flawed, wasn't he? And, and you're flawed, and I'm flawed. But, but he made it. He made it to the end. So, so we see perfect people don't run this race. So, so if you've fallen, you know, you started out running this race, but you've fallen back, what does God's word say to you? God's word says, get up. Get up and start running again. 
I, I, love, I love what Proverbs 24, verse 16 says. Though a righteous person falls seven times, he will get up. You know, I, I think that number seven, as is often true in the Bible, is a symbolic number. It means, it doesn't mean, well, the eighth time, no good. <laughs> Right? The, the, the number seven means even if we fall many times, the issue isn't, no excuse for falling, right? No excuse for sinning. But the issue isn't whether we've fallen. The issue is whether we get back up again. So the Lord says, if you've fallen, get back up and, and start running that race again. Satan wants you to think, I've fallen. I might as well quit. I'm not worthy. But God's word said, our God is a forgiving God. You've fallen, get back up, run again. Our God forgives sinners. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So run that race to the end and think of all of those who've gone before you. And then, you know, one thing you could do is you could read great biographies in the last 2,000 years of, of Christians who've run that race. And that can encourage you to run the race to the end. So many biographies I could mention, but one, one that comes to my mind is by Ian Murray on Martin Lloyd-Jones. He has a shorter version. There's a two volumes, but you might not want to read two volumes, but there's a shorter version of his life, and you can read that, but there's, there's so many to read. Corey Ten Boom, on and on it goes. Second, Run the race to the end by putting aside every hindrance and every sin, every, every weight, he says. Laying aside every weight, what's a weight? It's a hindrance. It's an impediment. And laying aside the sin, uh, that sin, he says, that snares us easily. So a weight, so there's two things here, right? We're to lay aside the weights and the sins. A weight is an impediment or a hindrance that's not a sin. So, so there may be weights that hinder you, but they're not sin in and of themselves. But they're not good for you because we're all different. And because we're all different, different things can trip us up as we run the race. So, so what am I thinking of? Let, let me give you some examples. For example, the Bible never says, right, that it's wrong to drink alcohol. What the Bible says is it's wrong to get drunk. So if you can handle drinking alcohol maturely, that's not a problem, is it? The Bible never says abstain from, from alcohol, but perhaps you are one of those people who can't handle it. And if you can't handle it, it's a weight for you. You can't look over at your brother and sister who can handle it and say, well, they can handle it so I can do it as well because maybe you can't handle it. I have a very beloved friend whose life has actually been ruined by this because he, he cannot handle drinking alcohol and he, he's an alcoholic. So for him, it's a weight. It's something that he can have nothing to do with, and that may not be the case for you, but, but maybe it is the case for you. Or, or think, of, think of video games. I mean, video games are fun, right? They're enjoyable. There's, there's, they're, they're good. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with video games, but you can become addicted to video games. You can, you can spend too much time on it. One of our daughters-in-law said to us, thanks, thanks for not letting your son play too many video games. <laughs> because, she said, all my friends, her, her, her friends who were wives, said when, my, when our husbands come home from work, they immediately go to their video games and they ignore us. <laughs> so that, that's a weight, right? That's a weight, that's a, that's a hindrance if someone is not meeting other 
responsibilities. Or, the, the, you know, we, the, it could be a thousand things, right? The same thing can happen with shows. We, we, may, we may binge watch in a way that's unhealthy so that we don't just find time for entertainment. Entertainment's good, right? But we don't just find time for entertainment, but entertainment rules our lives. It, it takes over. Even good things, this is what he's saying, right? Because shows are good things. Even good things, they can become obstacles, at least for you. And keeping fit, that's a good thing, isn't it? But it can become an obsession. It can become an obsession, and as Paul says, bodily discipline is of a little profit, but it can become an obsession and begin to rule our life. Or, or, or watching home makeover shows may be helpful. That's good, right? It's fine to have our home look good, but, but remodeling our home may become our God. So, so ask yourself, are there things in my life that are not wrong in and of themselves? They're not wrong in their place. They're, they're fine. But are they hindering me? Are they a weight for me? Are they impediment for me? as I run the race. You know, this isn't, this isn't a call to judge others, right? This is just a call to ask ourselves before the Lord, are there things, are there things in my life that are weights and hindrances and obstacles for me? So that's the first part. Lay, lay, aside, lay aside hindrances. And then the second thing he says, lay aside the sin that can easily ensnare us I take it that means easily trip us up as we run the race. I, I think it's interesting that he says sin can easily ensnare us and trip us up as we run the race, uh, even though we're a new creation in Jesus. It, we're, we're justified. We're reconciled. We're, we're redeemed. We're, we're, a, we're, a, we're a new creation. We're, we're sanctified in Christ Jesus. But... The Christian life isn't easy. Even though we're new in Christ, we can, we can get tripped up as we're running the race. He, he says that we're new, but, but life is a battle, isn't it? Because he says sin can easily ensnare us. He doesn't say, oh, it's really hard for sin to ensnare us. Running, run, you know, that's hardly ever going to happen. No, he says it can easily ensnare us. So, Let's think of some examples again of sins that might easily catch us up. Maybe we feel unrecognized, maybe unnoticed by another person, and that, and that hurts us, and that injures us. We want to be noticed. We want to be respected. Maybe we feel like that person didn't do that. So, so that, that hurt can fester, right? And, 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 and then it can turn into resentment and to bitterness in our heart. We, we can start to nurse a grievance. Is that going on in anybody's heart today? A grievance that you haven't even maybe admitted to yourself, but a grievance can begin to build up in your heart against someone in your family, a, a friend, someone in the church body. It can begin, it can begin to build up in us, I, I remember a time my wife has helped me so much in my life. She's my best critic, and I, and I need that. I remember telling her one time about a friend of mine, and I said, you know, we were driving in the car somewhere, and I said, you know, this, this friend of mine is really annoying me lately. And I said, he did that to me? I don't, I don't remember what I said anymore. So. And then he did that? And then he did that. Can you believe that? And then he did that. Like, wow, he's a bad guy, right? But my wife said, she, you know, she didn't say you're wrong. She just, she countered by saying, but remember when he did this super nice thing for you, number one? And then remember when he came over to your house and helped you with the computer, which I'm helpless on? Then remember when he helped you with this? And then this, and I was like, yeah, he's a really great guy, you know? I like him. I like him a lot. And, you know, I was starting to nurse some things against him, right? 
in my heart. And I was forgetting, and that's what happens, right? We lose perspective. I was forgetting how he really did care for me. He's a sinner too, right? But I was forgetting, and it just helped me to be free of that. Well, perhaps, perhaps you're prone to outbursts of anger. Someone crosses you in traffic. That probably never happens in Maryland, but it does happen sometimes in Kentucky. Or you're, you're enraged. Someone says something you disagree with, or they criticize you, and you give way to anger or, or to shouting. So that is, sin can easily ensnare us. And, and we, we know how easy it is to fall in the sexual sin, right? Now, now, now it's just a click away. Just a click away. I mean, what, boy, what resources are there for us on the internet? But, but, we, but we know the most visited thing on the internet is the pornography, right? And the, I don't even know. Millions, probably billions of dollars are made. And, and you know, more and more, it's not just a sin of men, but of both men and women. How many have been snared by, by such a sin? So, so as we run this race, let's ask Jesus, let's ask God to cleanse us from s- such sins. Let's pray Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, and I think it relates to the whole point. Search me, so I think we pray this right now, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Is there any, is there any weight or impediment in my life? And, 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 and is there any sin in my life? And then lead me, lead me in the everlasting way. Help me to run that race until the end and to, and to, shed, to shed the sin that's in, in our lives. So third and last, we run that race by looking to Jesus. Chapter 11 gives examples of all these people who've run the race before us, but Jesus is the greatest example of all. He's the example out of all examples, isn't he? he, he he's the, uh, it's translated different ways, but he's the founder and completer of our faith. Of our faith. He's, our, he's our pioneer of our faith. You, you know, we're, we're to look to Jesus. The great Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane said, for everyone look at yourself, there should be 10 looks at Jesus. You know, it partly depends on your personality, but for some people, maybe it's 100 looks at Jesus for everyone look at yourself, depending on how introspective you are. We're, we're, to, look, we're to look to Jesus. You know, some people spend too much time introspecting, looking at themselves, meditating on themselves, thinking about themselves, and they spend their time just inside their own head too much. But, but this text says the focus in our lives is not to be looking to ourselves. I mean, there's a place for that, right? But the focus is to be looking at Jesus. When we run the race, it's, it's easy to concentrate on, well, our, our strength, we could do that too, right? Our own strength, our own ability, our own, our own resources, or, or to concentrate on our own weakness, our own, our own, our own tiredness, our own, our own weariness. So, so Satan wants us to stare at ourselves, to be consumed with ourselves, but if we do that, if we, if we focus on ourselves, we're gonna either become proud of ourselves, or, or we're going to be depressed and discouraged. And, 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 and we've, we experience both, right? If we look at ourselves, maybe one day we're proud and the next day we're, we're discouraged. But Jesus, Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He, he's the pioneer because he's the perfect example of faith. Think Think, so, you know, remember Jesus, he's fully God, but he's also a human being. Think, think of his ministry. Think of all the people who wanted to see him all the time. That's exhausting. <laughs> Every day, people wanting to come see him. And think of how he was always patient with people, always kind, always other-directed always ready 
to heal, to love, and to save. He's our example, isn't he? He, he trusted God in the garden when the time came for him to die. Remember what happened in the garden? When the, and we think about this this week, don't we? Especially, not just this week, but we think about it in a particular way. This week, he was in the garden, and what did he say to God? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I'm not ready. I'm expanding it out. But I'm in my 30s. I'm in my prime, right? I don't want to die now. I feel good. And he said, God, whatever you want. And God said, no, you're going to die. I want you to die. And what did Jesus say? Okay, okay. I'm willing. He's, he's our example. But he, he's the pioneer and the perfecter. He's not just our example, but he's also our empowerer, right? He gives us. He gives us the faith. He's not only the example of our faith. He gives us our faith from start to finish. Our faith comes from God. He perfects our faith. He who began, speaking of God, Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you, He began that good work. If you have faith in Jesus today, how come you have faith? He began that work in you, didn't he? He who began a good work in you will complete it. That's the promise. He'll complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's not only the example of our faith, but he empowers our faith. He strengthens us to believe. So he's our helper. He helps us have faith. We remember the words of the Father in Mark Chapter 9, I believe, help, help my unbelief. And he does help our unbelief when we ask him to help us. Notice that Jesus endured for the sake of joy because of the final reward. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So the hardest race, who ran the hardest race ever in history? Jesus. Jesus ran the hardest race. And, you know, think of him again as a human being. I don't think Jesus knew when he was two he was going to die on the cross. Probably. Now, I'm guessing. I'm speculating. But he probably didn't know when he was five, right? We know, we know that he didn't access, as, as the second person of the Trinity, he's omniscient. But as, but as a human being, he learned just like us, didn't he? So I don't think he knew when he was five as a human being. At some point in his life, by the time he began his public ministry in his 30s, he knew. But who knows when, when, when he came to know, I'm going to die. So that, that realization struck him. But of course, we all know we're going to die. But, but here's the other thing. Jesus didn't have to die. Why not? He was perfect, Right? He didn't have to die. He, he chose to die. Not only did he choose to die, but he chose to die on a cross. On a cross. The most dreaded form of execution in the Greco-Roman world. Now, you know, we may, as human beings, we may know that we're going to die. Maybe the doctor will tell us, you know, you've got a year, you've got six months, you've got whatever, you've got cancer, or whatever, that, that may happen. But at least for a, a, most of our lives, I, I, it's, it's kind of nice, at least I know, I, I like this, I don't know how I'm going to die, right? That's, 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 that, that's something I like not knowing. <laughs> I don't really want to know how I'm going to die. But Jesus not only knew how he was going to die for at least several years, maybe many years, but he also chose to die that way, right? And, and, and not only that, he knew he was going to die a horrific, painful, degrading, shameful death, and he didn't have to, right? He chose to do it for our sake and our salvation. He chose to do it because he, he loves us, because he loves you. That, so, the cross, you know, even if you don't feel God's love, and we don't always feel it, do we? But the cross is an anchor and reminds us he loves us. And it's, it's not just a story. We're talking about a real person who made a real choice in his life to die 
for our sake. And the cross also meant shame. I mean, there was the wrath of God. That's the worst of all, isn't it? But, but here the author emphasizes the shame because when you died on the cross, you died naked. And that's shameful. And he underwent such shame because he loves us for our sake, for our salvation. So, by the way, if you've been shamed, if you've been humiliated, Jesus knows what that feels like. Jesus has been shamed. He can identify with you. He experienced shame as well. So he can strengthen you and comfort you if you have terrible memories of shame. He, he went through it too. God, God knows. You know, when Job is suffering in the book of Job, and Job says at one point, God, God, I'm paraphrasing, God, you don't know what it's like you don't know what it's like to be a human being. You don't know what it's like to suffer. You're God. You don't know. You don't know what it's like to have flesh. But Job lived before Jesus, right? God knows. God knows what it's like. Jesus experienced physical pain and shame. But Jesus endured. That's the key word in our text. He endured. He ran that race to the end. And, and notice what he says. He didn't regard the shame. What does it say? He despised it. What does that mean? I think it means he didn't obsess over the shame. He, d he didn't let the shame dominate his thinking. He, he didn't let the shame define him, and, 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 and neither should we. The shame should not define us, and it didn't define Jesus. Why not? Because Jesus was looking ahead, right? Shame, you, you can collapse back in on your past or your present, but Jesus looked ahead, and that's the final reality. That lasts forever. Jesus looked ahead for the joy that was set before him. Jesus looked at that final reward, and it was the hardest part of the race, but he saw the end. He saw the goal. He saw the promise of victory, so he kept running. He kept running because he, there was going to be a joy, the joy of sitting at God's right hand. Well, we're not going to sit at God's right hand, are we? We're not Jesus, but we will be rewarded. We're promised joy. We're promised pleasures, pleasures at God's right hand forevermore, pleasures that we can hardly imagine sitting here right now. They're going to be so great. So, you know, we do things to be rewarded, whatever you do in life. When I, when I was young, I used to practice basketball for hours. I worked, I did, I did dribbling drills between cones, right? I practiced free throws for hours. I'd, I'd, pra I'd do, I'd, I'd drive and stop and do jump shots. I'd, I'd practice uh, long range jump shots. Why did I do it? Because I wanted to make the team. And I, I made the team, at least for a little while, I made the team, right? So, but I was rewarded. My, my hard work was rewarded. We do things to be rewarded. And that's not wrong, is it? It's not wrong to look to the eternal reward. We ought to think of the eternal reward. This life is temporary. So he says, run, run to win that race. You know, whether it's, whether you play a musical instrument or whether you're studying for an exam or to get a job, you, we, we look forward to that reward, don't we? And that's, that's a good thing. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, the one, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So we've got to run the race to the end because it's the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know, that text doesn't say Although it's true, the one who is saved will endure to the end. That's true too, isn't it? The one who is saved will endure to the end. But that's not what that verse says. The, the, this verse says the one who endures to the end will be saved on the final day. So we're called to run, to win that race. As verse 3 says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't, won't grow weary and give up. So we're coming to the end here, but Jesus was perfect. He was the most loving person 
whoever lived, we already talked about it, right? Healing, forgiving, encouraging, strengthening. But people hated him. The religious leaders hated him. He faced great hostility. They criticized him. They even said his miracles were inspired by the devil. They said his teachings were contrary to the Bible. They argued that his claims about himself were blasphemous and deluded. And you know, the, the people who first received this letter, the Hebrews, their, their possessions were stolen from them. Imagine that. You come home, and it's because you're a Christian. They took their things. And it's sad. This is really amazing, isn't it? It's sad. They received the stealing of their possessions with joy. Not because they said, good, we got rid of everything in our house, we don't like it, right? But because they were trusting in God. I don't think he's saying that was easy. You know, early Christians were called the enemies of the human race. They were accused of being cannibals because of celebrating the Lord's Supper, which we're gonna do here. And, and they were accused of committing incest because they called each other brother and sister. So we're, we ought, to be, ought not to be astonished if some are against us. Having opponents may make us weary, but we should expect that there's going to be opposition. We should expect, as we run, run the race, that there will be those who oppose us. And, and there's other things that can come up as well. As we run the race, there may be, there, there may be health problems. You know, sickness may sap you of your energy, or, or maybe you'll experience difficulty in your family. Your home may not be a place of renewal and strength, but struggle. Uh, relationships can fall apart, or, or there can be disappointment with Christians we used to look up to. My favorite seminary professor, so I went to seminary in Portland, Oregon, long ways from here. My favorite seminary professor I just took him for every class I could. I saved all his notes. But after I left that seminary, he committed a crime uh, that was very um, disturbing. And uh, that, was, that was really difficult for me. I just couldn't imagine him doing that. But him committing that crime and being involved in such a thing was, was dispiriting to me. But when things like that happen, right, someone you respect and honor, Satan can use that to say, oh, Christians are fake. Why run the race? But God is saying to us, people can disappoint you. People are imperfect. Pastors can fail us. But you run that race to the end. When we're tired, when we're depleted, we think it's no use. I can't, I can't keep going. I don't have the energy and the strength, but this text reminds us, by God's grace, you can make it and you will make it. And finally, I wanna say, run the race because you love Jesus, because you've tasted his wonderful love. I remember in John chapter six, many who quit following Jesus. Do you remember that? After Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, many quit following him and, they, and they, didn't, they, they, they thought what Jesus was saying was scandalous and blasphemous. So then Jesus asked the 12 disciples, do you want to go away too? And Peter said, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's run that race to the end because we've tasted the beauty, and the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for this admonition, this encouragement to run the race to the end. And Lord, we know we can't do this in our own strength, that we need your spirit. We need the encouragement of other believers we need to regularly expose ourselves to the teaching of your word. Help us, Lord, help this church, help everyone here to run that race faithfully by your grace and for your glory to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.
you ought to consider his biblical qualifications seriously because your soul depends on it. You have to understand the sick cycle, the sick cyclical effect of poor, unbiblical leadership. As Pastor Mark Dever says again, false converts hire false teachers who raise up false converts. It's a deadly cycle. False converts hire false teachers who raise up false converts. It's a sick, deadly cycle leading straight to hell. Finally then, third subpoint: aspire. If you believe in the crucial role of elders, if you are convinced that you have a part in this, if you believe in plurality, if you believe in trustworthy elders, that they are necessary, you ought to pray that more faithfully, biblically, biblically qualified elders would be raised up from within our very congregation. Each of us should own this responsibility. And if you are a man in this congregation, particularly, you ought to aspire to the character of an elder, to godliness, to maturity. May not be next month, may not be next year, may not be even in the next five years, but what is preventing you from aspiring? What's preventing you from examining yourself according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? To see where you lack, to determine where you can grow or how you can grow. What's preventing you from asking one of the elders, where am I at? How far off am I? And asking for specific feedback so you can grow more toward maturity. The best place to start is discipling. Meet with a fellow brother. Be hungry for the word. Be brutally transparent. Don't hide around in the periphery. Be zealously committed to aspiring. Sisters, just because the Bible prohibits you from being an elder in the church doesn't mean these qualifications are exempt to you. Aspire, grow, teach, disciple, complement, build up Jesus' church with us together. We all have a part to play in this church body. In this season of societal division and uncertainty, in this season of a spiritually low tide, let's pray that NCBC will shine brightly. Let's testify of his glorious gospel by loving one another, by being committed to the word, by proclaiming the gospel to all we meet, and by covenanting together as this local body until Jesus calls you home or takes you to another gospel-preaching church or until he returns. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you are the chief shepherd. Father, we understand that in this world there is no perfect man, perfect woman, perfect pastor. Yet, Father, by your grace and by what you have accomplished on the cross, we have freedom, we have new life, we have hope, we have strength, we have joy. And we have the Holy Spirit. We have the word to depend on. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, lead us, sanctify us, grow us for your glory. Grow this church for your glory so that we could be more like you. So that many more will come to know you as Lord and Savior and King. Father, we testify, we confess. It's not us, but it's you in us. Do a work to build up your church and advance your gospel through New Covenant Baptist Church, through faithful men and women who aspire to this task. In Jesus' name we pray.